hello everyone. It's been a little bit since we were uh, last here. We've changed our names. We've changed the name of the podcast. Uh, of course, we're more focused in. And of course, our life as freelancers and contractors in this crazy industry of ours. Things just kind of got the best of us. But you know what? Uh, this is the first official episode of the retitled official movie tie-in podcast. This is Box Office Bootleg. I'm your host, Robert. And I'm your co-host, Reggie. And we're here to just talk about the events of the industry. Last time we were here was about, oh boy, about five weeks ago. The Oscars seemed so, so long ago. We've gone through this magical five weekend march that had so many different movies to be able to talk about. And of course, how almost all of those movies are predominantly coming from basically just one studio or new corporate overlord that is Disney slash Fox slash Amazon slash Walmart. So Rich, nah, it's just Disney. Do, do you feel like we're in a new world? Do you feel like it was kind of like we're in a new presidential administration because i gotta tell Uh, you i gotta tell you the disney plus thing almost felt like an inauguration day for um just like oh crap this is the new guys in charge basically (laughs) uh it's like forget the first order it's all about the mouse now oh man i mean hell uh yeah like november like yeah starting november 12th for what? For less than six bucks, you can. Well, six ninety nine. Six ninety nine. Okay. Yeah. Well, for six ninety nine, you can stream. You know all your Disney content. You know Disney, uh, Star Wars, like everything. Well, the way that the the way that the setup is going to be, it's uh, Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, Fox. Mm-hmm. And National Geographic, National Geographic it did its own little thing. And I think that was probably like one of those little like extra touches where I think people were just getting used to the idea just in the two weeks following March 22nd when the deal actually completed, where they were like, OK, I'm getting used to the idea of like The Simpsons and John McClane being a Disney property now. But I think them seeing National Geographic was just like one of those things where it's like, Oh my god, they found that. Oh my god. Well, oh my god. Again, they've been doing all these nature docs. Like they had a recent one on uh I believe monkeys or Well, the newest it, one is Apes? penguins. Newest oh, one no, is penguins. Oh, yeah. penguins. Yeah. And yeah. you know, what's funny is that like that's only like a very recent circumstance cuz uh 20th Century Fox only purchased National Geographic I believe back in 2014. And everybody was always worried about that because when you have the people who own Fox News owning National Geographic, you're kind of going to become immediately concerned about the, you know, integrity of your product now, especially because uh, I I don't know if you've seen the new documentary on Netflix, Our Planet. I have seen it. Uh, Our Planet is, it's essentially Netflix's Blue Planet and Planet Earth. I mean, they even have David Attenborough uh, doing the narration for it. And almost every single animal segment, it, it, it definitely addresses the fact where it's just like, this world is changing. It's killed 60% of wildlife in the past 50 years. All of these animals are having to go through this crap. Um, episode two is 
extraordinarily traumatizing when it gets to the wall walrus segment and i just want to keep it at that it's just yeah hopefully disney can i mean i'm not saying it's exponentially better hands but i figure out at the murdoch's hands i feel like national geographic might be like a stealthy thing yeah. that could be benefit for them so but yeah um what's your what's your initial impression about the service what what are you hoping out of it that you think that it's already been able to do and what you think it still needs to do when you're over. I'm like, I'm certain that it has like, it has like all your bases covered. The only thing that I have never heard from them yet is, is the nostalgia trip mm-hmm. um, where mm-hmm. you have like anyone that grew up in the nineties and eighties with Toon Disney, um, like the lower ABC. Our animated stuff. Yeah, like I ABC weekends, uh, like or ABC, like Sunday morning cartoons. You know, you got your gummy bears, tailspin, goof, uh, goof troop, gargoyles. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, because you know, like people that want to see that stuff, there's there's no other avenue. Like you can still see like old SpongeBob, Ren and Stimpy, and like some of the old Nickelodeon cartoons on like Amazon, like on Amazon Prime and like some places, but. Yeah. But like I haven't seen like a a uh, a streaming service that offers any of the Disney uh, pro- um, any of the D- uh, Disney uh, properties. Yeah. Well, w- one of the things that they are going to have is their Disney Channel stuff. So clearly, they are prepping it up. They're probably just like trying to pace it out to where what they can emphasize over. I mean, the fact that it's going to have basically every. Pixar film prior to Coco is an enormous win. Like that's yeah. a gargantuan advantage to be able to have. It's going to initially have the signature collection of animated films. Mm-hmm. So your your staples like Pinocchio and Bambi and Fantasia yeah. and Robin Hood and Jungle Book. Like you're talking yep. about the they're A-listers. all out of the vault now. The A listers here, and they say everybody's going to be there. You know, eventually. So even like black culture and folks like that. See, I'm like I'm just curious if if they're gonna do all. Uh, I think we're up to like 52 uh, canon films. So either 52 or 53. I don't think they've gone into 50 yet. They no, they, they, like they did get to 50. What was the 50th one? I thought that 50, would have made 50 a 50 was like tangled. I thought that would have made a bigger like fuss about it, where it's like our 50th version. You know. They would uh, here. Let me let me look it up really quick. Yeah, but uh, as you're doing that, uh, yeah, we 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 see that they're generating the MCU one, and Kevin Feige is emphasizing that you know w- while the primary issue with the other Marvel movie Marvel TV shows is that they're done by Marvel Television, which is its own thing. However, in this circumstance, it is Marvel Studios that are going to be producing the. Falcon and Winter Soldier, uh, the WandaVision series, and Loki, and also a Hawkeye series. Like they're they're definitely going hard with that, and I guess that's kind of a way for them to have their cake and eat it too, as far as like still being able to have these characters, but use the movies as a launching platform. You know, so and uh, yeah, yeah, I, I'm 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 shocked that. We're still kind of in the dark about just what exactly is going to happen 
after Avengers Endgame because you're you're about to launch this incredibly ambitious streaming service and you're still kind of like in the dark about okay well what future content is going to end up here what's the context of it the continuity all that stuff so yeah Yeah. any luck yeah number 50 is tangled and we're up to 58 with frozen 2 dadgum we're already at 58 I I guess I've lost track of the actual numbers around the mid 40s so well, again, it's like it's only movies that are produced by the Burbank, like by the Burbank Studios, Orlando Studios, or the pe- or like for that brief during the Golden Age, they had like an uh, an offshoot uh, studio in Paris to like help uh, with additional work. Mm-hmm. They were primarily they primarily did like uh, like uh, well, they had Ra- a, Roger Robert, a Roger Robert all the way up to I want to say Aladdin or Beauty and the Beast. Well, and also during the 50s and 60s, they had like a liaison office, not necessarily production, but definitely crew, uh, some satellite crew work during the 50s and 60s in London. Uh, Because like, uh, just like weird factoid and everything. The reason why it seemed like uh, they adapted so many British story tales is because Walt Disney Studios was one of the first ones to really uh, try to, you know, co-produce and redistribute their films and subsequently Hollywood films back into England after everything that happened with World War II because they figured, you know, this is an ally. Their film industry can be a great asset. This is an audience clearly, you know, subjectable to this kind of stuff. So why don't we adapt some of their uh, classic stories? So mm-hmm. that's why you kind of have like within this single decade, all these different British stories being adapted in the movie. So yeah, that's the reason why. Yeah. Gotta go for that market. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it's um, yeah. The, you have the, uh, so like uh, the official films, it's like 58 of them. And then you have like all the Disney tune uh, movies, like, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, DuckTales, the, uh, DuckTales, the Great Adventure, or like DuckTales, the uh, movie, uh, a goofy well, Duck movie. T- the DuckTales movie they were hoping to use as a platform for like all the other series, but the DuckTales movie didn't actually do that great at all. So they kind of like put those plans on the back burner, yeah, respectively. Uh, but anywho, moving on, but still keeping it within Disney, uh, I guess. It's it's fascinating that pretty much the main conversation for for anything with movies upcoming or coming out is that it's so bizarre. It's a bizarre feeling to see that it's really just been a Disney film that's been able to dominate the conversation for uh, yeah. because like I, I can go this back where it's like you mentioned the 58 movies and now we have to have a serious thought about okay which one of these have they not planned to turn into live action and well, that can lead us to Dumbo and <laughs> Lady in the Tramp and the Lion King trailer but the, but the Lady in the Tramp like I, like when I was uh, like randomly they're gonna know, talk Tissa Thompson is the voice of Lady so they do talk well, the thing is, when I was like looking through like movies, like, you know, like, lo- looking at like you know what movies are coming out uh, later this year, I realized uh, I didn't realize that they had Lady in the Trap, but apparently that's one of the launch films mm-hmm. for Disney Plus. Yeah, uh, it's like, come on, guys! It's you're like you're what, taking what? you're taking the one 
unique thing about Lady and the Tramp is the fact that it's not just one of those talking dog movies. It's not cop dog. It's not. <laughs> wait, I don't think the dog talked and talked and cop dog, but it's not like the <laughs> one that came out last year. What was the oh you didn't you didn't see that one uh, it was I the, know uh, that they had to literally pull it from theaters oh it was what, uh, which one was it because oh. uh, like it was actually directed by our wonderful friend Rasha Gosnell yeah uh, Rasha Gosnell was the guy who directed the first two Scooby Doo movies and Beverly Hills Chihuahua and I think he also did Show Dogs. Show dogs. There we go. Yeah. 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 Like, I actually went and saw it before they Richie, neuter it. Tell us your experience with show dogs. Did you see it before? Yes. The, at, oh, you saw it before that. Okay. Okay. Uh, t- <laughs> tell us a little bit about it because, like, some people might not be aware. Um, because if you saw that trailer, it seriously looks like a fake trailer you'd see in, like, an episode. It of is. It is like, it is that bad. Like, it, the. Like the like the CG, they have like uh, one of the they CG the dogs doing the, the dab pose, like you know all these dated jokes. But the one that they infuriated parents was involving uh, like a grooming section, which I don't know if that's part of the uh, part of the show where one of the judges will like look at like will examine the dog's genitalia or yes, like, for good breeding. Like I like I don't understand that part, but. But it was like a montage. So so they started off with a montage of Will Arnett like going under the <laughs> going under the dog's uh, junk and like like to fondling him, and um, and you know as the like the dog is undercover is like trying to like get through this. His mentor is like telling him, like, look, go to your happy place. Go to your happy place. Whenever, like, you know, whenever this. <laughs> yes. Like when, like when this moment comes. And, and like throughout the montage, he couldn't like he couldn't stay focused. He always like bite back. Um, it wasn't until like at until the event where where the moment happens, it cuts to him imagining a uh, it comes to him like dancing dance with sequence, yeah. yeah dancing was with him and will or not to uh, to time of our lives from dirty dancing and it's like hearts like like flowing all over the place will or not is happy you know they're they're like they're they're dancing like a couple uh, like in the ballroom it is like the most insane part that I've ever seen it's yeah, it's the whole inherent thing where it's just like nobody in the audience or no editor. I'm sorry. None of the editors, none of the director. It got to print and nobody thought that like w- when you're talking about what it is, is called grooming, respectively, mm. of the creature where, yes, that is a part of the show dog. You want to make sure that it's like healthy, that there's not like any type of like, you know, issues with its uh respective parts and just but using that as the butt of a joke where in the context of what you're talking about you're basically saying as this dog's genitals are being fondled he's basically doing the happy place happy place routine and it kind of has this whole other really disturbing subtext of this is like, oh, this is what people, when they're actually being violated, do. So it's like, if if somebody's grabbing your genitals, just go to your happy place. Go to your happy place. You can dance with Will and Ned. And it's just like, clearly, it's just a wildly inappropriate joke 
It was, it was short, but the it was short-sighted. But the implication too, it's like when you think about it, where it's like you're basically having a main character that has to like think of something else as his jump <laughs> is being touched, and it's just like that should not be something that a main character. And, like, isn't that, like, an actual, like, arc? Like, that's, like, his big, like, struggle. Yes, like- that, that was the final. Again, this is the final. Like, this is the climax of the competition. Right. It's <laughs> because they got through all the other parts where it's, like, you know, like, looking, um, like, the, the catwalk portion, the athletic portion. It's just now it's just the, the fondling of the genitals part is... It, yeah. it builds up to that part. So, That's what I'm saying. There's like, like, it's, it's not so much, it's not so much like that moment in, in the competition. It's just, it was a montage building to this sequence. Yeah, yeah. But yes, going back to canine loins. Uh, so Lady in the Tramp. <laughs> it's like the, the, the one thing that like helps Lady in the Tramp be timeless is the fact that it is like this very subtly, beautifully animated, uh, film. You know, where even though it is like really just these two dogs that find each other, the fact that it's like given this real genuine elegance and beauty and pacing where it's like, you know, it's it's a love story between two dogs, but it feels genuinely romantic. And I don't know how you could do that with just talking dogs like I'm going to be thinking about Fire Dog or uh, Beverly Hills Chihuahua or. Yeah. I mean, the movie is a staple at the El Capitan. Like, if you ever go to the El Capitan <laughs> Theater around Valentine's Day, they usually have a uh, two, usually either screen it, I think, for the whole entire month, uh, Lady of the Tramp. If I don't get, I, I need like a cameo appearance for the two Italian chefs. They, they, they better have somebody completely off the cuff. Who, who do you want to be your two um, oh, Italian cooks? Wow. And they have to have Big Bushy. Mustaches wrench. It's it's not a racial stereotype. It's, it's 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 a cultural institution of Italians to to have a big bushy mustache just, just and do serve something dogs stupid. out of the uh, dumpster. Like for something dumb like as this, I like I would say why not why not bring in Robert De Niro just to just throw him in. <laughs> nah, he, he can't really do the bibbity bobbity accent. It has to be somebody that can do that. He is I, Italian, <laughs> but. Not that Italian, Reg. I'm talking like, bibbidi bobbidi, oh, look at the beautiful canines that are found in the novel. Let me, I mean, get, let me get you I mean, a like, I mean, like, you just bring it, like, why don't you just bring in Martin Short and, uh, and, uh, Steve Martin to do, like, the most ridiculous, like. Oh, my God, I thought you were going to say Martin Lawrence, and now I wanted to be Martin Lawrence. <laughs> I wanted to be Martin Lawrence and, and Tracy Morgan. But doing Italian accents with a big curly mustache. Look at these dogs over here. Oh, God. Look at these dogs right here. They're going to get pregnant. (laughs) Let's help them out. Okay. (laughs) One was going to get pregnant. Okay. No, like Marta Lawrence would be a nightmare on set, so they would just keep on having to use the same reaction shots. (laughs) They were doing They were doing Radioactive man's No, no, they would have to do it like uh, Wesley Snipes in Blade Trinity Where Wesley was so high During the production That like They literally had to edit in Reaction shots Like when he's like "Mm, 
That would be like from a completely different day. So the the reason why Ryan Reynolds has to like lip so much in that movie is because fucking Wesley Snipes didn't even like bother with the lines. He showed up just like faded and just like it was just like hmm hmm. And I think like half the lines of him in that movie is dumped in after the fact. So you know, yeah, it's been a while since I've seen that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a different era. Yeah. What a different era. Because, uh, like, recently I watched um, All the Hellboys before I saw the new one, uh, respectively. And the charming thing with the first Hellboy is the fact that it's definitely much more of that early 2000s kind of supernatural thriller, like mm-hmm. Underworld or Resident Evil. You yeah. just felt like Evanescence was going to create, like, hell for love song like a new hit single that would be playing in the credits yeah. like like it's very much in that era but the fact that del toro was able to get as many of the details of the comic book in his own aesthetic in is kind of miraculous when you really think about it because this was still the era where superheroes because this was like right after blade 2 correct it was two years after blade 2 came out 2002 i want to say 2002? Yeah. And then he did Hellboy in 2004, then Pan's Labyrinth in 2006, then 2008 was Hellboy Golden Army, which I also saw. I forgot how much I loved that movie. It is just, (laughs) oh, there's so much production design and just like great. The pacing's amazing. It's just, it's, it's, it's great. It's emotional. The villains are great. I love the sidekicks. There's just, it's, it's a amazing movie. And it pisses me off to no end that Universal had the bright idea to release that movie a week before The Dark Knight. That was the yeah. stupidest possible decision that you could make with a movie like this. I mean, they had no other choice. Like, Dark Knight, when did The Dark Knight came out? Like, July? Uh, Mid-July. Yeah, like, like either either you had to, like, let it, either you let it, you know, like, run its course uh, beforehand, hope you make the money, or let it die in August. Because, like, August is, like, a, like it's pretty much dead. Well, it would have been better than a week before the Dark Knight. <laughs> Fucking, they released the third Mummy movie and spent, like, $170 million on that thing. That thing came out August 1st. I would have switched the two. Cause like at least like it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been competitive fans because the kind of fans that would have been like oh cool Golden Army would have media were of course the same audience that would immediately be like oh my god the new Batman movie <gasps> with the Joker oh my god. Come on, yeah but I mean like they made the decision because more people are more familiar with with the Mummy franchise than uh, than Hellboy well then if you're not confident that Hellboy is gonna stand out, why would you give it only one week of levity? They don't care. It's like they they had a slot to fill in and they just rolled the dice on it. Yeah. I, I was looking 2008 was a pretty dense summer respectively. It's just, what, what kind of sucks though is that, I mean, nowadays you can have like big openers and off months. You know, like the fact that you can have a movie like It Open to 130 million in September. September, which used to be like the the, the dead zone 
yeah. of films and the fact that you can you can have a film open big in those months or just this recent October October wasn't considered a big opener month but you had Venom that was able to open at like 82 something and you had the new Halloween able to uh, open at 78 the but, second largest but those, but those two are mostly outliers like usually uh, usually around that month, you see like a lot more Oscar hopefuls are spilling into October because everything is so crowded in. Like Disney, like Disney has like a foothold in in uh, November with around Thanksgiving. So, uh, so, uh, so just to like break away from all the uh, big movies, they just started releasing them. You know. And, uh, to, uh, I mean, they start, you know, like, some that are, like, helpful, like, hopefully getting Oscar nominations, they'll just, you know, release in October. For example, uh, uh, Gravity. Gravity, um, Gravity opened at Venice and then was, uh, uh, opened in Venice and then, uh, was immediately released in October. Um, yeah. And then, uh, the, uh, then you had, uh, the social network. It was, uh, it had an October release. Yeah, it, it's but but it's the bigger thing where it's the fact that even having the confidence to release it in October, where it's like, even though it's a prestige movie, you would feel like just even like five six years ago they would try to like show hone it in for November or it's just November. Like a lot of these movie. months are becoming too crowded, man. So it expands out, but it shows that people will go to a movie. If if it's you know, I mean, look at the Star Is Born. It was it had an October release. October release as well. Like it opened like it either opened like I think a week or two before Halloween. Yeah. Well, no, it opened the same. uh, It opened the same weekend as Venom. So the fact that you had two movies that were able to open big on the same weekend is it's just like Hellboy, Golden Army is just like one of those things where it's like you really really wish that. Just, just even like one extra week, not literally the week before. Like that's just dumb. It would be like if you came out with the superhero. It's like if this weekend mm-hmm. you came out with the superhero movie, or like let's say Shazam, right? Yeah. If Shazam came out April nineteenth, a week before Avengers Endgame, where it's like even though it probably would have still opened okay, it, its box office would have completely plummeted afterwards and just there's you know no telling but no nah, i mean like the only time they did it was uh kept with batman v superman they had the balls they did uh, they had the balls to open it before captain america 3 no no i think it was the winter soldier actually you got that um you got that backwards what it was is that uh, Batman v Superman scheduled itself for May 6, 2016, and it was Marvel that scheduled Captain America Civil War for that weekend. And it was basically telling them, hey, the first weekend of May is a Marvel weekend, so if you could back off, that'd be great. And they did kind of do like a back and forth, back and forth, but ultimately it was actually Batman v Superman that retreated. Because Disney... No, is, they, they opened up first. It's like, well, fuck them. Well, like, we'll just, you know... They opened up first, but the fact that they had to open on a spring Easter weekend 
thing as opposed to like being the film to open up the summer. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure they were thinking, well, that kind of, it, it came across as them retreating as opposed to like them trying to go deeper into I mean, the like, summer. Them retreating, well, it was either they had to, they either had to open early because the, the, having them open like later in May, June or July, that wouldn't show signs of them retreating. So the, I mean, like uh, they might as well, you know, like play, you know, like play, like play into that rivalry and just like you know, and like show them off. Well, they kind of cheated with coming out early, considering that they were supposed to come out the June two thousand fifteen, but they delayed it into May, and then Marvel scheduled for May, and then they went back to March because it's like, okay, we already have most of the movie done anyway. So, uh, but that's a whole. Another story, but um, well, I mean, just, like they were, I mean, they were trying to like what shoot three. Essentially, they were trying to shoot three movies uh, at the same time. What with uh, Batman v Superman? Like it felt like it because, uh, uh, like, and because it was well, they, the damn uh, thing. The ultimate cut is like three and a half hours or some nonsense like that. Like, what I'm saying is, after Batman v Superman, you had Justice League, and it was supposed to be two, uh, it was a two movie. Yeah, it was supposed to be two, two Justice Leagues. Jesus. Like, that's what I'm saying. It, it was, it, like, they were sh- shooting, like, three movies back to back. I know. I know. It's it's ridiculous. And now they're basically just, like, going in any direction that they want to, and it probably seems like it's better for it because yeah. uh, Shazam because like it's kind of funny that like Shazam which is kind of like the most self-standing respectively I would say is the one that I've enjoyed the most out of these DC films and it's the one that feels the least like them yeah yeah because I mean they didn't have like Zack Snyder's input or his choice in casting this grim dark stuff is like um, you you don't have the man who says if he could be able to show Bruce Wayne being raped in a prison, um, he would have included it. And that is not paraphrasing. This is an actual thing that he was saying about like bringing realism. And he he, he was trying to make a point about how like okay, Bruce Wayne went on this quest and everything, and probably was in a prison and probably got raped. And it's like just. Putting more emphasis on if you wish that you were allowed to show your superhero character in a film that is selling action figures to include a scene where he's raped in a prison. I think what you're trying to accomplish with these characters in this world is a bit misplaced. Although, apparently, I'm the one that needs to grow the fuck up when but, people but again, call. But again, like, he did do Watchmen, and, like, you kind of tell that he kind of missed the point. Because, like, he, like, again, it was, like, one of those comics where it's not, <clears throat> it's not part of the golden age where, where, like, it, like it felt more adult, like like all the Frank Miller, like the Frank Miller. Um, well, this well, this comments. was Alan Moore, and I think. Well, that's why I say like the Dark Knight Returns with uh, with Frank Miller, and then Alan Moore with the Killing Joke, Watchmen, um, yeah. etc. Et et I'd say though that is the trap that he did for himself, and I noticed that a lot of fans of the Snyderverse films. 
it, 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 still to waiting me, for the cider cup. To me, it's revealing in a certain in a certain case, and and this is what I feel with it is that I feel like Zack Snyder is a perfect example of somebody who has who did read those books, who saw that oh, comic books can be for adults, comic books can be edgy and deal with themes and stuff. Except what I feel like is that his personal growth and admiration for comic books literally stopped there. Like, I feel like a lot of people that like these Zacks, this Zack Snyder interpretation of the DC universe are exactly the kind of comic book fans that are all pissy about, like, you know, uh, including politics, including women inclusivity. What are you doing? This isn't comic books. You're ruining comic books. And to me, it's like, I feel like so many of these people read Viva Vendetta, The Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen, maybe one or two others, and that's it. Like, the fullest extent of their comprehension of these characters and of what comic books can be and what they can be as a visual medium, I think stopped as soon as there. So when you're asking somebody like Snyder to create a Justice League movie, where you have characters like The Flash and Aquaman and stuff like that, but if his literal interpretation of these characters is based off of the most basic level introductory stuff, and I shouldn't say basic, but you know what I mean. It's yeah. it's an entry to wanting to read more comics. But what I feel like is that so many of these people just read that far, which is why so many of them are like these edgelord types where it's like, it's like for Superman, it's like Superman wears the weight of the world. And it's like, okay, cool. Have you read All-Star Superman? He, he, uh, he, he defeats a living son uh, with a riddle. It's pretty great. It's, pre- it's pretty weird and cool like, and and all these different characters. Or, you could do cool shit with them. But again, I feel that, that it could have gone the other direction. Like uh like they could have done a uh they, they could have pulled a uh, Joel Schumacher and like do Justice League against the Super Friends. Don't go you don't have to go Joel, but you don't have to go full Frank. Because you you know the biggest the biggest indicator about like what kind of people uh, what kind of fans, comic book fans, people like Zack Snyder are, is that they know well enough who Frank Miller is, and they say that, oh, he's such an amazing author. And you can immediately tell that they haven't read any more of his stuff, because Frank Miller is important. Frank Miller has written some incredible stuff. His importance yeah. with the medium is great, except... Most actual comic book fans kind of know him as like the possibly fascist sympathizing uncle (laughs) of the medium where it's like his recent material and like 300 should be like the giveaway where it's like it seems like he's legitimately pining for almost like a militaristic fascist society essentially Mm -hmm. and especially with like Dark Knight strikes back the sequel to dark knight returns where it's like yeah batman's a fascist and that's what this world needs to take down the man and the government and it's like uh, okay frank oh actually now all of your previous material about 
<laughs> like, like it's funny, Rich. Uh, it, so many fans were like, we thought that Frank Miller, because especially because Frank Miller actually did the spec script for RoboCop 2. Mm-hmm. And of course, the RoboCop series, and yeah. since it's Verhoeven influence and everything, obviously mm-hmm. has that subtext of like making fun of fascism and authoritarianism and a police state. It's yeah. like, we kind of thought that Frank was always in on the joke about how like, Oh, Batman's kind of being a little fashy in this, but we thought that he was making it as like a joke, as like a dark humor subtext to it. But upon reflection, especially with a lot of his recent material, no, no, it seems like he's legitimately advocating for Batman should actually be more fascist Mm -hmm. than he is. And especially in Batman v Superman, like when he's swinging Superman around, right? And he's like, you were led to believe that people are good. The only thing that works in this world is power. <laughs> and it's just like... Fascist bets. No. Nah. Nah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but we're, we're getting away from that. We're getting away from that. And I, I think it had to happen. Because <laughs> like, now it's like, maybe we can get some like... And and I should say that it's not asking for like a fun, like not like fun jokey kind of thing, but certainly something that's a little bit more aloof, something that's more creative and maybe not whimsical. But I mean, you you have these animated DC films, right, that have been able to do for 25, 26 years at this point, you know, adapting these characters in a way where it's fun, it's enjoyable it's all ages. You're not literally introducing your movie with five simultaneous 9-11s as somebody dies saying the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, you can still go dark, buddy. Just maybe not multiple 9-11s at once. <laughs> oh, my God. Please tell me you've seen some of the memes recently. No, like the, Sny- the Snyderizing ones where it's like it'll show a character, but then it'll be like, the Snyder cut. And it'll be like, it'll show like a Jesus in the distance and have like false God scribbled. And it'll have like, like an after image of Jesus or something, even though he's right there on the cross. <laughs> it's like, you get it? Jesus allegory. I'm deep. I am a deep, deep, deep filmmaker. I am an arteur, if you will, Rich. <laughs> Reg, did you know that 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 Clark Kent, like Jesus, came from the heavens? Really? Think about it. Think about it. No, they should have got. I mean, Think I mean, like if they're going to go with gods, they should have like stuck to like the uh, the uh, the pagan ones, like. Like the the Romans and the Greek gods, well, because pretty much all like even even like the uh, even some of the like some of the runs are like mo- I mean like kind of model after them. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I so I suppose I suppose of course in the hands of a bad writer, you would think if you're going to go so heavy Jesus wise, like what? How would this world handle the fact that it's like oh these Greek gods existed? You know, that yeah. that these, like, superhumans, that aliens exist, where if you want to deal with heavier material, there's heavy material right there. Just don't go the most obvious, like, 18-year-old contrarian edgelord route, where it's just, like, 
yo, man, what if God existed, but like, not for man, man. And like, what if man to become God had to, had to kill God, but, but a false God. From, yeah. from we we thought. But what if the we, god we thought, is super jacked? What what if, what if? Oh come on! Lucifer was always gonna come back handsome as hell. Come on, come on! He's no. gonna go apac apac on the apocalypse. He's gonna he's gonna be hell daddy. Ooh, hell daddy. Ooh. Well, I mean, like who's hell? I mean, like mm. no, I'm just refer. I mean, like was that? Like I mean, like with Harry Cavill is like. Just, just as like, all right, well, who be like, who will help me, the Lucifer? If you got Henry Cavill as Superman, Henry Cavill with the mustache. <laughs> because Reg, what if, what if God, what if the reflection of God, Reg, was, was, was the, was the devil? Because the devil is the opposite of of God, but that's not. But but what if Lucifer wasn't evil? What does that say about God? Fucking, I could write the sequel right now. There's your Snyder cut. <laughs> just 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 show Justice League, but just have like some nineteen year old Nietzsche fanboy <laughs> just like narrating over it. I think it'd be entertaining. I think it'd be a hoot. <laughs> Oh man, but yeah. So I, I think the I think uh, the 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 closing topic, at least for discussing it, is just like with going back to Disney. Uh, just wanted to talk a little bit about Dumbo and Lion King, and just the whole inherent hope, but also dread that it's all leading to. So you. Uh, so Dumbo, what's your what's your what's your feeling about Dumbo? Because you saw Dumbo. Yeah, I saw, I Dumbo. saw Dumbo. Uh, we talked about it a little bit already, but I mean Dumbo for me, it's it's just unnecessary. At the at the end of the day, it's just unnecessary because uh, like by the time we by the time when they introduced Michael Keaton and. And um, his whole thing is uh, he he owns like this grand steampunk amusement park, uh, where, uh, amusement park, and he needed Dumbo to be like the main attraction to it. It's it just it just got kind of out of hand uh, because you know, you know well, well because uh, because you know with the first movie it was always about. It was always about Dumbo. It was always about like him trying to reconnect with his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, it kept and, it simple. It and is. and this one could have done the same thing too. Like I thought that if they're not going to do talking animals, you could probably have like a kids. Uh, like you could probably have uh, one kid be in the same like going to the same market as Dumbo, and like have that connection between the two. If you wanted like stretch it out and. Add more elements to it, but but like as soon as you add in like the big corporation, evil corporation taking over the small family business, that's it's like okay, it's 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 trying to make a movie that should not be an ensemble movie into an ensemble movie is another thing that hurts it. Like like Tim Burton couldn't help himself, where it's like. 
You know, Dumbo only works when there's really like three, four characters, essentially. And it's like, even in a live action sense, you have to like trim the fat, trim the fat, where it's like basically Dumbo, the mom, and maybe like one of the kids. I wouldn't even have the dad alive. I'd make it the one kid who lost the parents, but because they're a little off themselves, like nobody at the circus respects them. So he see he or she sees this, you know, Dumbo weird elephant thing, you know, also being kind of dejected as opposed to like still trying to do like a dad. It's like, oh, dad needs to reconnect with his kids, even though mom isn't there anymore. And oh, but everything's still kind of OK. And oh, the circus people are kind of weirded out by Dumbo. But oh, all the circus people are good people in heart. They just don't know what to do with him. And yeah, it, it, the, the entire movie is completed in the first act. So you have two acts trying to like figure out what it wants to be. And OK, um, we're going to get into spoilers because I'm, I'm, I'm charmed by this. My fiance brought up this very humorous but messed up thing um, where, OK, you release at the end of the movie, right? Um, the, spoilers at the end of the movie, right? They're, they're able to escape from dreamland. Right. Uh, completely decimate Dreamland. And of course, they release Dumbo and his mom back to the wild. In the early in the early 20th century, they're releasing two animals that have only lived in captivity their entire existence. <laughs> back into the wild. <laughs> and and you're telling me that if you're a poacher. In the 1920s, and somebody told you that in, like, the Indian forest, there's a legendary flying elephant. You can't tell me some uh, some Nigel Conkleton type is going to be like, Oh, flying elephant, what a miracle of nature. I'm going to blow its skull out and put it and make a shanty skirt out of its ears and give the tail as a little memento to my dearest Bethelda. Like, you've made their lives exceptionally worse by releasing them into the wild. I'll I'll do you one up. Uh, Like, uh, one up is... (laughs) Is is like what kind of movie that uh, that wasn't released? Animals. It's like this is the turn of the century. It's like the circus was the place to go. So you're not gonna so you're not gonna show the circus as a real hellhole where it's like full of exploitation, like like in the real world, like PT yeah. Bar- like how PT Barnum ex- exploited freaks and the animals. This and, was during the time stuff. when Tom Edison could just electrocute the shit out of an elephant. Just to, like spite another company, and that was like considered like Monday Night Football for these people. It's like but, oh, a pachyderm being electrocuted. That sounds like a good jam tonight. But uh, again, it's like okay, so you want to sanitize it? Well, makes me forget the syphilis. I mean, like okay, so that's fine if you want to sanitize the circus, uh, circus. But e- even then, it's like you only had the only thing I've seen was like one tiger, two elephants, and like a pack of horses. Like there was there, like what type of circus that doesn't have any animals? Ooh, that's a good point. Because that's a good point it, because they didn't want to deal with the animal cruelty thing. So, but they didn't want to show too many animals because then you'd have to think 
Well, what did they do to the other animals? Again, again, it's like, like, like again, it's Disney. They can sanitize it. They can make a love letter to the circus because, like, you know, like we're sitting in the present where P.T. Barnum is out of business. Like, there's no actual circus. We, we, we didn't see... We didn't even see that much of the actual circus in Dumbo. That much too, either, right? Like we just like saw you them, only like, see bits and pieces. Like, even, bits and pieces are like even, when they're even, chilling out. I did like how like how like Danny DeVito was like going through the end of you know and like showing different acts, but it's like even then, like even then, it's like you know you've just that, that could have been. That, I mean, like like you know just to, like. It's one of those things. It's like it's one of those things. It is you're making a movie for an audience that's never been to the circus. So why don't you make it really special? Yeah, and and also just like you you're, you you would have to ignore that this is the era where like okay cool this circus was nice enough to realize maybe exploiting. Dumbo and his mom is a bad thing inherently because you shouldn't be exploiting animals. But it's like. Fucking another circus would probably be waiting in the weeds, right? And they're not gonna give a damn. They're gonna be like, oh, hey, that um other circus, the brother circus or whatever the hell they're called. Yeah, they just release those animals back into the wild. We we could just pay off the dudes who like drop them off and capture them, uh, put braces on them, force them to perform for us, and and it's great. We could totally do that. Let's do that now. And it's like that that's exceptionally optimistic of the Brother Circus to think that the rest of the lives of these two elephants, one of them that every poacher and circus owner on the planet is going to want to go and try to capture. Um, the, the only way that you can mitigate that is that we should have got a scene where we should have got a scene like from the Predator. Where it's just like it, it's it it is a group of poachers trying to like be like we've heard of a fly we heard the flying elephant was left here and then you just see like a shadow what was that oh I, I think that was the wind what was that and then like you just see like the the, the other hunters just being like lifted or disembowelled. <laughs> And then, like, but then the final shot is, like, we see the main Nigel fella, like, turn around, and it's, like, a fully grown Dumbo with Tusk, just, like, with two two of the hunters, like, pierced through its tusk, and it's, like, I've made a terrible mistake. (laughs) Dumbo 2. I mean, like, another movie that, uh, that... No, like, okay, okay, so... (laughs) So like another movie that did like a really cool circus bit is Madagascar Three. That's the last fucking circus movie that I can even think about. Because like even like like and again like the whole like the whole routine was like it was synced together with Katy Perry's uh, fireworks. But it's but it was still like but it was still exciting and fun. It's presenting it as a circus Olay thing. Like it's definitely doing more of that kind of like circusy kind of thing. And yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's what works. What works with so much. And it's the biggest mistranslation. I feel like with adapting these animated stories is that in certain cases, it's cool to expand it. But in other cases, the whole reason why the films work so well is because of the simplicity of it is the fact that like something as simple as like, 
a flying elephant missing the mom. Or or the fact that the the fact that Dumbo doesn't fly until the last five minutes of the movie. Yeah. It doesn't fly until the last five minutes of the movie. So it's just like, but you're still invested because you see this like creature whose only crime is just having big giant ears, just having all this terrible crap happen to him. And the fact that you could just communicate that in animation in a way that you just can't in live action is, you know, a, a testament to the craft, but it's also just a misreading. And and this one seems to be like the only one that's actually not doing well at the box office at all. Mm. Like they spend a lot of money on it and it doesn't seem like it's going to make that money back. So, um, but we're going to have Lion King, which is going to do so, so much money. So much money. I am holding judgment on it because we have to see what the musical sequences look like. Because, like, of course it looks good. Of course. We're we're in the era where we can make anything look good CGI. It's just it's just a matter of, like, how are those scenes going to translate? Like, they're going to do I Can't Wait to Be King. They're going to do Be Prepared. They're going to do yeah. um, Can You Feel the Love Tonight. And, and it's just... It's I'm, like, I'm, I'm joking. I'm t- part of me is, like, I don't know how much they can art direct it because... Like, like a lot of people are making jokes how how it's like oh look it's the color of dust it's just more dust and more dirt it's have like you've been to Africa it's yeah. dust yeah but again it's like you've been into the African savannah but but when you look at these musical numbers they're all super colorful like you know like, like I just can't wait to be a king it was just like all colors and you know like the animal synchronized making synchronized uh, like movement and stacking it on top of each yeah. other we we haven't seen that yet though we haven't seen those yet we don't know how people sound when they sing we don't know how people look like when they're doing it and you notice they only have one or two shots where they actually show you seeing the animal with dialogue like, almost all the dialogue is, like, you know, off-screen mm-hmm. dialogue. So we still haven't yeah. seen the actual animals talk yet. And I think the reason for that is probably they're still working on it. Yeah. You know, they're still working on the CGI. They don't want the memes. They don't want to, like, release a product too soon where... I, I'm, and see, Disney isn't the kind of company that would embrace the memes, like is something like Detective Pikachu when the first trailer came out, people already had like the faces, like <laughs> the one frame where it has like he has this like crunched up old man look. And I think they kind of just rolled with it because like the whole movie definitely knows that it's something weird and just yeah. odd. And it's just it's just going for it. And I can I can give it a lot of credit for that. But Disney, no, we're not into that meme stuff. We'll reach out to uh, furries. Disney has no fun. We'll reach out to furries on Reddit in regards to Zootopia, but we're not doing memes. <laughs> oh no! Uh, like like they tried they tried to like spread the uh, try to spoil uh, Endgame by talking about the Thetis theory. <laughs> first of all, who's and- the? First of all, I, I think if Thanos. Here's the <laughs> my one thing about that is that if Thanos can take a punch from the Hulk, I'm pretty sure like 
Ant-Man is going to try his damnedest, but he's probably only going to be big enough to where his little legs are sticking out. And then Thanos is just going to reach in, pull him out, have some weird good feelings off of doing that, and then just, like, crush him in his hand. I think you people... have more confidence in Ant-Man. I, he... <laughs> Well, remember... He's a tiny. He, he could go really tiny. He could go really tiny, and he could go really big. But remember, there's still, like, proportional law when it comes to Ant-Man, where it's like, he, he doesn't distribute the strength out, even when he's giant. You know, he still maintains a certain level of mass, respectively, or... I don't know, but... But yes, I think even Thanos would would know better. That's why he wears armor. He's probably thought about it. That was probably the first thing he thought about. No, he didn't see Ant-Man. You never see him coming. He literally can see through time, Reg. He probably knows exactly what's coming. <laughs> you know, I had to check. I mean, like, Barbara, Dr. Strange have checked. <laughs> Barbara, that's one of his... One of his... One of the And see... It didn't work. Only one thing worked. So, so no. Doctor Strange is like, yes, <laughs> you gotta get Ant Man. No, no. False Ant. Because Reggie, the implication with fourteen million scenarios is that there may have been the one where it worked, but there is. I'm, I'm gonna peg it at fifty thousand attempts. Fifty thousand attempts where they tried it and it did not work. So, those are still not good odds, Reg. One out of 50,000 odds that you going up Thanos' butt is going to be able to save the universe. Hey, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. <laughs> whatever it takes. <laughs> it's like, Ant-Man, whatever it takes. Yeah. But, you know, in, you know, though, but just with, uh, with Lion King, though, I think... I saw this one tweet, and it can kind of be like a closing note, is Cartoon Brew, you know, uh, Cartoon Brew is like one of the main, uh, you know, animation industry blogs and everything. Uh, It was ran by a good friend of ours, Jerry Beck, but for the past few years, it's been um, Amar... uh, Amini. Amini, yeah. And he's a bit more direct he's a little bit uh he 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 will definitely like not try to be on everybody's good terms but one of the things that he was doing when the lion king trailer dropped is that he was retweeting a lot about statements about people's impression with the lion king trailer where there's the whole inherent idea of like taking something animated taking that like vibrancy and lucidity and just trying to make it live action and there's one tweet that's been kind of gnarling at me for the longest time, um, or at least like since last week, mm-hmm. is he reshared something where the reason why it seems like so many people are still anticipating it, despite that disconnect, is that there is still an impression that cartoons are for children, and by making it live action, people can still be nostalgic, but not feel like they're watching a kid's movie. And that one's been rattling in my brain for a little bit because it's 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 like such a millennial kind of 
thing where it's like we're a generation that grew up during the second renaissance of Disney. We're, we're the ones that grew up with the cartoons on Nickelodeon, with Disney Afternoon, mm. with stuff like that. And you would think that it would make like more of an appreciation for the art form. But I almost feel like, especially because the the complete lack of other type of animated films other than just like the, you know, generic looking 3D films. I mean, it, it's a bummer this past weekend, Missing Link, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I still need to see it, but something like Missing Link having like such a low opening and it's like like it's been able to survive through a lot of patronage and you could see the reason why the film didn't get a big enough distribution is because it's with the company right now and Aperna that's like it just not really doing a good job distributing any of their films you know like last year Annapurna had films like Sisters Brothers uh Sorry to Bother You If Bill Street Could Talk like really excellent films but Almost all of them lost money except for Sorry to Bother You, which is kind of ironic for a film that, that that's that anti-capitalist that it was the one that actually well, made that a profit. One, that one, the, the only reason was that one was an acquired one. While every while the other two movies were made through at a like they they invested money in those two. Oh, okay. Films. Oh, so Sorry to Bother You was a pickup. Yeah. Sorry to Bother You was uh was a Sundance film. Yeah. Well, well, nonetheless, though, it, it, it's still kind of funny that, like, one that they had to bring in. And, I mean, Annapurna's fortunes are going to turn around. Um, Annapurna and MGM have actually joined forces to revive United Artists mm-hmm. as as a releasing thing. And the reason why they're doing that is because uh, their, you know, new James Bond movie is coming out. And the James Bond movie is going to have the good old MGM UA logo, like back in the OG days. Uh, Mm. So their fortunes, it's like, yeah, they lost a lot of money, but they got to wait one more year and they're going to make that money back with one James Bond movie. But I, I like I wouldn't I wouldn't count my money on that. Well, you shouldn't cap you shouldn't base your entire production company's fate on one. You know who else did that? MGM. Yeah. <laughs> MGM made that same mistake and the company uh, and the company almost plummeted into purgatory because of it. Um I mean, like I, Heaven's Gate fucked them up. Well, Heaven's well, MGM has been around so long it literally has yeah. two different eras where it's almost yeah. completely fucked itself over. It uh, had the Heaven's Gate fucked itself over and, then, and in in the mid 2000s where it was just like really really bad for them. Well, well, I mean, like, but I mean, by that time, it was a shell of itself because they sold like all their, uh, all this, like all their pre, uh, uh, like pre eighty stuff to yeah. uh, to Ted Turner. Yeah. Well, they weren't even getting most of their money from MGM anymore because Sony ended up being like Sony had to be the ones to put up the money for the James Bond movies, yeah. and Sony obviously wanted a bigger cut of it. Um, but but just. I guess back to the core point with, uh, you know, something like Missing Link not being able to, you know, do well at all at the box office, just the inherent, you know, uh, like Teen Titans Go last year was the first 2D animated major release to come out from a major studio in in eight years. Yeah. Like a 2D animated film. And 
I guess the cool thing is that Netflix is investing as much in it as it is. I mean, we got Klaus coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we have a whole bunch. Uh, Jorge Guterres's new film is coming for Netflix, and it's just it's like for for everything about how our generation has admired animation the fact that like there's still that inherent embarrassment it seems like by a lot of people that like still go to Disneyland and stuff like that I love Disneyland but yeah. I, I was the one I was the one that appreciated the medium and it seems like that's just kind of disconnected from a lot of people because Again, probably what that is, uh, like I did have roommates that that um, you know that refused to watch animation, uh, animated movies, and and it's just hard. It's just hard to convince like people to watch uh, to watch like even adult animated films. Um, yeah, because yeah, and like, the the irony is that Disney, of all people. You know, they, they dominated the medium in this country for so long in the culture. They were the ones that were like the biggest enemies towards any other studio that tried to get in on it. You know, like like we, we were talking just earlier about scheduling movies. Disney did that shit all the time back in the yeah. in the early 90s. Like any time that like Don Bluth would try to come out with something, they would schedule it the same weekend. Like Land Before Time. Uh, Land Before Time and no, Land Before Time. Uh, hold on, I'm trying to remember. I think it was American Tale and Great Mouse Detective that were scheduled the same weekend. But again, um, but again that was but again, Great Mouse. Little Mermaid and the Land Before Time were scheduled the same weekend. Like they were purposefully trying to like yeah. take away all the attention from the competing studio. And what we've ended up with is that there hasn't. There hasn't been a Leica for 2D animation, which I've, which I've always hoped for, especially because there is that talent out there. There are those people, you know, where it's like, if you had a patron to be able to do it and Leica has the benefit of Phil Knight, you know, the owner of Nike being able to throw money and just him being like, Hey, if my son could direct a movie once, that'd be cool. Thanks. (laughs) You know, not this is Travis and I, but I mean, come on. We could be honest, but um, but I mean, like I've seen some of his work. He's he's freaking talented as an animator. He is he is talented. It's just it, it, it's still yeah. a thing where you know he 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 got the job for one reason. Yeah, still really talented, but he still definitely got it for a reason. Yeah, and just nobody's been able to do that step of Fatuni animation. And now that Lycba. Um, has kind of had diminishing box office, even though it's definitely still cranking up the craft. They're still doing incredible. It looks, it, it looks gorgeous. It seems like it has really awesome reviews for this one too. Mm-hmm. Um, even seems more like, it almost seems more like a Wes Anderson uh, one where it's like more- it's not even really for kids. It almost seems like more like the kind of people that went to see Isle of Dogs more mm-hmm. than like somebody that would see like a kids movie. No, nah, I would say like bo- mostly like Monty Python, like kind of with the box trolls, with the uh, with the humor. That they were well, going see, box troll I felt like was the most kitty of it. No, and I, I, I thought. Well, I think it's because like the vi- like the it villain was, the, was it was them trying to do Charles Dickens. It was them trying to do their own Charles Dickens story, 
And that's fine. It's cute. It's it's still like a well-made, you know, uh, enjoyable film. It's just, it's just there. There are other films definitely have like a more transcendent quality where it's like something like Coraline is something that all these different age groups can be mm-hmm. able to enjoy and get a thrill out of. You have something like Paranorman, which is like same kind of deal. A lot of people yeah. can enjoy it. Adults can enjoy it. Uh, Kobo is this, you know, like beautiful um, action epic, you know, mm-hmm. where like teenagers can even go watch it and it's like, it's still like a quality action film. And you got something like this where it's like, you know, Monty Python-ish, but still like aloof, little, little yeah. like whimsy and stuff. And I don't know. It's just, it's, I don't know. I, I don't know what's going to be like the breakout for other type of animation in especially in the current environment where it seems like the only ones that can really survive is the the either the Pixar Disney ones or Illumination. I mean like what, like I have no idea about DreamWorks and DreamWorks I feel like, like is just gonna have all its assets absorbed into Illumination anyways. Well, well some of it is gonna get absorbed into Illumination, but what DreamWorks, uh, but like since they have a deal with Netflix, like since they have like an uh, output with Netflix, mm-hmm. they'll still keep the television division running and like at least pump out like all your Kung Fu Panda, like uh, Kung Fu Panda TV shows, like yeah. Penguins, uh, Madagascar, uh, and so forth. Yeah, but um, like again, they they have they have stuff to like they have something to do with uh, they have like they they can find something to do with DreamWorks. Blue Sky, on the other hand, they have that Will Smith movie uh, where he's tra- it's a spy that turns into a pigeon. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, like, I, and- I, I have to say Blue Sky should feel a little okay um, because during the recent panel where they introduced Disney Plus, they, they did show Blue Sky back there. They did show Blue Sky back there. Um, right there along the edge when they were showing like all the major studios that they own. So clearly they like are at least acknowledging that they own like a competing animation studio which is like when you think about it is really bizarre well i mean it's one of those things like like are we going to keep up with it's like how many how many ice age movies are we going to keep pumping out because like that's the only that's the only thing well they can't well they ran that into the ground they got all the money that they could and it's it's crazy to think that those middle ice age movies were at one point some of the most successful overseas yeah. movies of all time. Like, like, period. At one point, Ice Age, the Age of Dinosaurs, mm-hmm. was the highest grossing movie in Russian history. At, at one point. Like, Europe and other countries, they, they loved that little rascal. But then the Minions came along, and then Scrap wasn't quite so beloved anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Are there any other blue sky things they could be able to exploit? Rio? Maybe? Most, like I said, most likely all that. If whatever, whatever blue sky is producing, like whatever's on their slate is going to go to Disney Plus. If they don't, if they can't see it, that's what I'm thinking. Like with Disney, like what, uh, what the, with the, uh, Disney Plus. Oh, I see. Whatever is like, if we can't make, if we cannot release it in the theater and make a ton of money, we'll send you to Disney Plus. Oh, that's a 
Yeah, because the That's, whole thing I mean, Disney Plus is going to be it's Disney Plus is going to be a home of those mid level films and Blue Sky. I hate to tell you, but hey, for what it's worth, you made a Ferdinand movie, so you, you could just like retroactively say that you were adapting the Disney. Oh Ferdinand. no, they they are going to they going to disown that. <laughs> I didn't see that one, but I figured it was, it was weird. I imagine the Ferdinand even. It being in CG, so it's still animated. I imagine that it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but would you say that it probably had the same issues that Dumbo had, where it's like the whole thing about Ferdinand is that Ferdinand works as like this simple, sweet story. It does, but but again, and it's, you can't make a feature film out of Ferdinand. <laughs> I mean, like with Ferdinand, they just added like stuff to it. It's kind of like what Illumination does with all their Doctor Seuss properties, just. Yeah, like a lot of like, like just like whatever, you know, like yeah. some business, like just to fill out the run tie. And I mean, now we got to see like what the what the other studios do to compensate. I mean, like Warner Brothers is Warner Brother Warner's Animation Group is you know prepping up that weird Scoob movie that's gonna have like other Hanna Barbera characters. Like it's gonna have Tracy Morgan as Captain Caveman. It's gonna have. Dick Dastardly, it's gonna have Dynamo Mutt, and I mean, again, I grew up watching these cartoons, so it's like seeing them all together is not that unusual. It's just you know, you what? got a generation that never seen like they've never hey, seen hey, that hey. before. It just uh, I guess like a final note, the one thing that I would actually recommend sending out because again, you can adapt things if the overall point that we're talking about is how you adapt characters, how you adapt movies. Um, we talked about Lion King, we talked about Dumbo, we talked about Batman, we talked about just any type of animated property. A fascinating thing that DC Comics has done recently is reimagined Hanna-Barbera properties, like, as comic books. Like, it'll do, like, a realistic version of Flintstones. It it did a version of uh, Snagglepuss where he's a... um, gay theater writer in the 1930s. Uh, They do like a post-apocalyptic Scooby-Doo one. They do like a Mad Max version of uh, of Wacky Racers. They do like a Batman Elmer Fudd crossover one. What? Uh, They do... It it all sounds bizarre, but Reg, Reg, I'm telling you, they're actually bizarrely really good. The Flintstones one is like a legitimate like existential like middle class it's like madmen in a weird way where it's like we actually like see this society that Fred and Wilma live in and it's like uh-huh. it's actually like a really like dark humor sad version of like suburban life where um, like this, this really poignant scene where it's like where Fred and Wilma, because the concept of marriage is new because mm-hmm. they're cave people and they're even like, what is marriage? Like, do, do we even love each other? Do we just say that we're like together because we have to do it? Like it deals with some heavy stuff and it's actually exceptionally well written and just like it it just came out of nowhere. So um would highly recommend the I, DC version I, of the I'm Flintstones. Just perplexed, oh, I'm just perplexed because again, I don't go to the like I don't go to comic book store uh, like I haven't visited like a comic book store and run into these weird titles that you're describing. Just you you would like and 
it's just it's the weirdest amalgamation. It sounds something embarrassing, like that lunatics cartoon that they did in the early two thousands, where they tried to make the Looney Tunes um, action heroes and Bugs Bunny became Buzz Bunny, but then they had to change the name. They remember they had to change the name because he was. It lasted one season, but yeah, yeah I don't. I, I don't even remember that. Well, fun little trivia. It was called Buzz Bunny, but then Warner Brothers discovered that Buzz Bunny was copywritten by a sex toy company. So they had to change it to Ace Bunny. And let us never speak of them again. <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, with that known, hope you enjoyed our conversations and everything. Uh, we'll try to come out with these a little bit more rapidly uh, where we can talk about film about animation about the box office i mean we're gonna have the biggest man majama coming around uh in just a couple weeks reg you got your tickets yet uh like i'm probably i haven't got my tickets yet I'm, you gotta like, get your tickets now i know i know i know uh oh, oh, like, well, good tip. All the, the only tickets that are available now it's like you have to be like right in front of the screen um Ooh, good tips to go early in the mornings like I'm talking like eight thirty in the morning. I know, on but the, like, they were selling, they were selling those things out. I know, like but five you, in the morning, you gotta like, do it. Friday, like Friday, they had. Uh, I was like going to. Uh, I was looking at the uh, a uh, screening at like five thirty in the morning, and that was sold out. Yep, yep. Was it an IMAX one? Uh, it was over at Rave. I think it might be. Uh, I think it might be the premiere. Damn the Rave! People going five thirty in the morning to the Rave. That's amazing. Yeah. All right, folks. I mean, it's, I mean, like it's a three-hour movie, so by the time you get out, it's you breakfast. Can go, well, you can go get breakfast, but you can go to work, or you could go. Holy shit, that's right. You could. Oh my god, if I was still, um, if if I was still at my last work, I could theoretically have done that. That's insane. Oh man. Anywho, guys. Like, uh, yeah, I, like I've never seen. Like, like I said, I've never seen showtimes that it's like that super early. Oh no, 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 Reg, Reg. When I worked at the Palladium when the Dark Knight came out, we did a seventy-two hour run. That means there were one one thirty a.m.s, a four a.m. and a seven thirty a.m. We had those. We had those. Um, and what's crazy, it ended up being uh, the second highest grossing IMAX theater in the nation that weekend, mm. almost entirely just because of that 72-hour mm. stream. <laughs> so, it'll, yeah. be, it'll be interesting what, uh, like, how how the box office would uh, fare with this. What's movie. the number? Uh, like, right now, right now, uh, uh, wait, uh, the last Avengers movie was... was 258. Like, 258. It could possibly crack 300. I'm going to actually go a little under. My only reasoning is is that the length means you can only have so many show times. It's still going to beat the record, but I'm going to... It's my, my pick of the week, folks, is 278. 278 well, million. Again, uh, again, they're having more screenings in 3D. Still, I, I think the length will but be. That's that's the thing. That's how they're going to get around it. Like if you want to crack, if you want to crack the uh, the three hundred uh, marker, then you got to do more screenings in three D. And that's what I noticed when I was uh, looking up screenings at the Brave. 
they had like a good block of nothing but uh, 3D. Yeah. Sweet. All right, then, folks. Uh, that's us signing off. So uh, we'll let you know uh, how we feel about our next subsequent movies, if we have a fun topic to be able to go over. So uh, this is Robert signing off. And this is Reggie calling goodnight. All right. And uh, Thanos, watch that ass. Yeah.